As you are, would you please pray with me? Loving God, this morning, we recognize the great gift you have given us with family. We do praise you for the mothers who have given us a model of your compassionate love. There are many emotions today as we reflect on parenting and motherhood. Some did not have the mother to love them as the way they needed or wanted. But we thank you for others in the faith of community, the faithful community who have stood in that gap, for women who took the extra time to love, affirm, and allow a feeling of family where there was none. This morning, of course, O oh God, we do pray for those who mourn yet remember with fondness the memories of their mothers, or who even mourn the loss of not being able to be the parent that they had hoped to have been in this larger community and in our city. We all pray together this day that we may find many ways to show a mother's love. We remember all the foster children waiting for the comfort and stability of home. Surround each of them with your comforting presence. And in this moment of quietness, O oh Lord, we pray that you bring healing, deep healing, where we might be carrying regret and unforgiveness about our parents or even other loved ones. And pray that you empower us to be the family of faithful followers of you. Help us, God, to include all those who need your affirmation and love in our faith community. And finally, we give you thanks as our eternal Father, our perfect parent. May we always seek your tender mercy and infinite love through the name of Jesus, who has died and is alive forevermore. Amen. Amen. As we begin, uh, time for the message this morning. Again, happy Mother's Day to all of you who are moms here in the congregation, whether in person or online. We have some exciting things happening at First Church, and just wanted to let you know next Sunday, the Reverend Celeste Cranston will be here, and she is going to be preaching for me uh, next Sunday. Uh, Celeste, you may know, is the director of the Center for Biblical and Theological Education at Seattle Pacific University. She's an ordained elder in the Free Methodist Church, and she's going to be bringing the message next week, wrapping up our series on Unstrung. Uh, as for me, I will be on vacation this week. And it's really hot here, so I thought I would go to a destination where it's cooler. I didn't think I'd actually say that. So uh, we're going to be uh, this week in uh, Cabo San Lucas, and we'll be back on Saturday. So I'm going to Cabo to cool off. It's too hot here, all right? The other exciting news I want to share with you is that we have hired a modern worship leader to be a colleague and companion along with Scott Higby, our sanctuary worship leader, Mark Smith, has been hired. We're excited about that. Mark will be here for his first Sunday on May 28, May 28, two weeks from today will be his first Sunday with us, so we're excited to see what the future is going to look like with Mark uh, helping us here in the sanctuary worship, but also helping lead and direct the new version of the bridge that we hope to launch this coming fall. So excited about that as well. Today we're continuing a series called uh, Unstrung. And uh, the title for today is You Can't Make It On Your Own. And I have to confess, I co-opted a song title by U2. You know the rock band U2? Okay, how could you not? 
my favorite musical group ever. And uh, probably about 15 years ago, the singer in that group, his name is Bono, his father had died and he had a rather distant relationship with his father. And so he wrote a song in tribute of his own father that's called Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own. So we're not gonna play the song, I'm not even gonna use lyrics from it, but I just wanted to let you know, I, I, for copyright's sake, I pulled the sermon title out of that U2 song because I thought it was appropriate to today's text. I grew up as an adopted only child, and that's a magic recipe for becoming spoilt rotten. And so as I grew up, I was forged in the crucible of being independent. My dad was self-employed as a general contractor, so everything in my house was about how you're going to make ends meet, how you're going to get by, how you're going to do everything you need to do, and you're going to do it by yourself. Everything depends on you. And for 55 years, I've been trying to pull myself out of that framework. And God has been a great healer in my life through the life of the church, because the church is the community where I've learned that being independent is certainly not all it's cracked up to be. That we need a community of people around us. We need people to walk with us in relationship and in life. And it's here we find strength, not in our ability to be independent, but in our capacity to become dependent on the relationships around us. Because sometimes you can't make it on your own. And so today we're going to continue in this series called Unstrung by exploring the space. Jesus wants his disciples to be prepared for his absence. And throughout this series, we've been looking at these post-resurrection stories of Jesus. In other words, the appearances of Jesus after his resurrection, but before his ascension. Today's text is just a little different because we're going to be reading from John 14, as you heard a moment ago. And that text from John 14 is about the word Jesus gave his disciples in person before his crucifixion and death. These are his words of preparation. So here's what they needed to know before the events of Good Friday leading to Easter actually unfolded. So in some sense, Jesus is telling us about what life is like post-resurrection in this conversation he has with his disciples on that Thursday evening before he was betrayed and arrested, ultimately leading to his crucifixion. So there's three things that I'd like to share with you. What would any sermon be without three things I want to share with you? And the three things I want to share with you have to do with stories I want to tell you about three individuals that have had a huge impact in my life as I've gone through this journey of going from being very independent to becoming dependent. So I want to tell you three stories and frame them in this biblical text in a way that might help us. The first thing I want to share with you is this. Lean into love. And certainly lean into love over the law. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 14, in the passage we heard read, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, right? And so what Jesus is suggesting here isn't that we lean into the law, that we focus on the keeping of commandments. What he's telling us is that we should love him and that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. It's a cause and effect relationship. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. A person that was so impactful for me when it came to this truth was a friend named Bruce Warner. When I finished seminary and started working in my first church, I worked as an associate pastor. And I did that for five years along with Bruce, who was the senior pastor at that time. Bruce had been a missionary in Malaysia and Indonesia for 15 years. He had come back to the United States and 
pastored some local churches in Arizona and Southern California, and that's when I met Bruce for the first time. Something I noticed early on when I was working with Bruce, at about 4 o'clock or 4.30, Bruce's office door would shut, and he would get in his car and be gone. So he did this every day. We were in the office for several weeks, and I finally asked Bruce, I go, Bruce, I notice every day you leave at like 4 or 4.30. You have a meeting at night at 7 o'clock with like, you know, the finance committee or whatever it is. And I asked him, I go, what, why do you leave? And Bruce said, well, Craig, here's the most important thing I can tell you as a pastor is that the most important ministry you have in your life is to your family. And every day between 4 and 4.30, I get in my car and I go home and I eat dinner with my family. And I have eaten dinner with my family every night for over 30 years of ministry in the mission field and in the local church. And he encouraged me to do the same. So after a few months of me showing up at church and then working through dinner time into the evening with whatever I needed to do, I began to heed Bruce's advice. He was totally right. It's a practice I've kept for well over 25 years. 4 o'clock, 4.30 rolls around. Everyone in this office will tell you, especially Lori, who works in the office, I get in my car and I go home. And I spend time with my family over dinner. And if I have to have a meeting at night or need to come back, I come back. Because the most important ministry in my life is to my wife, to my children, to be present and available to them at all times. Because if that's not right, well, hardly anything else is going to go right. Bruce taught me many other things as well. One of the things Bruce did is he opened up his house every December and invited his whole congregation the first Sunday in December to come to his house for an open house. The whole church. Now, Bruce lived in a two-bedroom condo. And the whole church, over a three-hour period, trafficked through his house, eating Christmas cookies and hors d'oeuvres and having a little bit of punch. And Bruce did that for years and years. He learned to do it when he was in Malaysia, when he would welcome everyone in the village into his home so that they could get to know him. It was a practice I kept for 20 years of inviting my congregation into my home. It got a little challenging in San Diego. We had a church with 2,500 members. So it got a little challenging inviting everybody into my house, but we pulled it off. Thanks be to God. Bruce taught me a lot about how to love my family, how to love my congregation. And he also taught me one other thing that is critically important for us to remember. And it's that whenever I came across the path of a particularly difficult parishioner who for some reason knew how to push my buttons, and my response sometimes would be to get really angry, Bruce used to just laugh. He would laugh, and I'd say, Bruce, why are you laughing? That person was a total jerk. And Bruce would say, what do you think God is doing in heaven? And that made me pause and think for a minute. God is up in heaven just saying, oh, oh my word. <laughs> what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And that was so freeing to me. It just allowed me to kind of let go of the need to hold on to all that stuff. I learned how to lean into love from him. And I'm very thankful for Bruce. He's still alive and kicking in Tucson, Arizona, even to this day. And our family is very close. He's like my children's adopted grandfather, he and his wife, Marianne. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And this is what Bruce taught me because I knew he loved the Lord because he kept the commandments. I could see how he lived his life and how his natural love for God overflowed in wanting to do the very things Jesus did. I didn't have to 
connect the dots. It was apparent that Bruce had a deep love for Jesus that was grounded in his soul and in his life so powerfully that it manifested itself everywhere he went. He was a person of peace and grace and kindness and healing everywhere he went. And it doesn't mean that by any means he was weak. He was a powerful man, could preach powerful words and proclaim powerful truth. And just, I love him so much for all that he taught me. But I want you to understand, Jesus is telling us there's a cause and effect relationship that as followers of Jesus, if we love him, we will keep his commandments because a lot of relationships we live in are predicated on the reverse, aren't they? That if we want people to love us, we should keep their commandments. We have relationships all throughout our life that are constructed around pleasing other people so that we earn their love. Unpacking that problem in human relationships had made many therapists very wealthy. And rightly so. Because friends, one of the things we have to learn in our relationship with God is that there is no love that needs to be earned or merited. The love of Jesus is given freely to every single human being. Not just those in the church. Every single human being. And if God offers that love to every single human being unconditionally, then that love reciprocated to God automatically results in the keeping of commandments. So if we find ourselves in our lives wondering, well, I'm not really keeping the commandments of Jesus very well, I should try some more behavior management techniques. No. Find a way to deeper love of Jesus, and you will just keep his commandments. So some questions to wonder about this week. We'll put them up on the screen. How are love and obedience confused in life? And how do you separate them? And what is the state of your love for Jesus? And how might you strengthen it? In this passage in John 14, there's another encouragement we're given that Jesus gave his disciples before he left them to prepare for his absence. And it was this. Surrender to the Spirit. Surrender to the Spirit. Jesus speaks of a helper or a counselor that will come in this particular text. And we're going to talk about that word for helper or counselor more in a minute. But when we invoke the name of the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which of those three do you know the least about? Probably number three which is somewhat interesting because number three for us, the Holy Spirit, should be the very presence of God that we must be paying the most attention to because it is the Spirit of God that is in us and with us, as we'll talk about in a moment. A person to whom I'm indebted about the Holy Spirit is a woman named Ruth Miller. And I've known Ruth since I was in high school. And I first met Ruth on what was called a lay witness mission. And you may not have ever heard of such a thing. But a lay witness mission was a program that existed within some churches where a group of lay people from other churches would come to your church for like a weekend, revival is the wrong word, but like a, a renewal event. I don't know how to describe it. And they lead small groups, they have time for prayer, and then there's always a, a, a time for worship on Saturday night 
of that weekend that is like a, a healing service where people who want to pray for healing can come and be prayed for. And that's where I first met Ruth when I was about 17 years old. She and a team came to our church. And she was such a wonderful guide and counselor and taught me so much about the Holy Spirit. That very weekend when I was in high school, I went forward for prayer on that Saturday night and she laid hands on me. And as soon as she laid her hands on me, I was expecting her to start praying. She didn't. She didn't say a word for about 30 seconds. I thought, was I supposed to do something? Am I, what, what have I done wrong here? Then after about 30 seconds or so, Ruth started praying. And she prayed for me in a way that you would have had to have known me for years to pray for me the way she prayed for me. I didn't tell her what I wanted prayer for. She put her hands on me, silent for 30 seconds, and began to pray. It was miraculous to me. That was my first exposure as an adult to somebody who really knew how to operate in the fullness of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Why was she quiet? I learned later she was quiet because she was listening to what the Holy Spirit was telling her about what I needed prayer for. She listened and then she prayed. That woman was so attentive to the work of the Holy Spirit in her life, she just simply would spend times in quiet listening to what God would say before she would take any kind of action. She taught me that when the Holy Spirit begins to move, you had best let the Holy Spirit move and get out of the way. Even if you don't like what the Holy Spirit is doing, all the more important for you to get out of the way and allow God to move and to speak. Ruth was an amazing woman in my life and because she showed me that for the followers of Jesus, there's this sense in which we have a singular ambition, which is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And that the only way we can be conformed to the image of Jesus, as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's somewhat strange that at least within American Christianity, we talk about the Holy Spirit very little. And then we wonder why we have such a difficult time trying to become more and more like Jesus as individuals and as a culture. We have a hard time doing it because we're not engaged in the ongoing work and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in this text that I'm going to send a helper to you. Cool, I need a helper. The problem is, is this word we use to translate, like helper or counselor, all of those words that we use in English are not really helpful. They don't convey the full meaning of this word. In Greek, this word is parakletos, and it's two words put together in Greek, para or para, which means to be with or alongside, and then a Greek verb kaleo, which means to call. So paraklete means to call alongside that this Holy Spirit will be the one who comes alongside us, not to help us, not even to counsel us, but in many ways to lead us and direct us so that we might become the very image of Jesus. I would suggest that what Jesus has told his disciples to do, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, that that cause and effect relationship is impossible without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the paraclete. The presence of God in, listen to the pronoun, us. Throughout this entire text where Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit being given, throughout other passages of Scripture, even in Paul's writings where he talks about how your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and other language that you hear like that, that word you or your is always in the plural. It is never in the singular. 
The problem is, is in modern English, we have no second person pronoun, you, in plural. So we use you and you, singular, plural, plural interchangeably. Unless you're from the South. Y'all. They have a second person pronoun in plural. So the best way to say, if, we, if Paul were writing, he'd say, um, y'all's body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's plural, that the Holy Spirit is not given to a person, it is given to the church, it is given to all of us, and that our engagement in the work of the Holy Spirit is a communal affair. It's something that we do together. So someone who claims that they individually have the Holy Spirit, oh, I, yeah, not quite right. It's close, but it's not quite. Yeah, you have it individually, but only in as much as you're part of the community that God has called some questions you might want to wonder about this week. How are you aware of the Holy Spirit's presence with and in you? And why is that the case? And I want to pause there for a minute because Jesus said in this text that this paraclete, this helper, would be with you and in you. Not upon you for a while and leave. With you and in you. Many preachers have said that God desires a habitation with you rather than a visitation with you. Habitation is what God is after. Another question for you to think about is what can be done to deepen your communion with the Spirit? What can be done to deepen your communion with the Spirit? For me, it was having my friend Ruth pray for me. Because what I wanted that night when I came forward for prayer was to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And she laid her hands on me and prayed for me without even knowing that. And sure enough, the Spirit did come. A little bit then, a lot more later. And it was a blessing to me over all the years. I knew Ruth. She passed away last year. Just a saint and a delight. Missed her terribly. Finally, Jesus' last word to us that we need to hear, at least for the, this conversation today, cling to community. This is kind of where we've been going all along, clinging to community. As Jesus speaks for this love for him, he does so in a, the context of a community that Jesus has with the Father. John 14, 15, 16, and 17 are oftentimes difficult for people to read because J John uses this weird language to talk about how I am in the Father, the Father is in me, and I love the Father, and the Father loves me as I love you, I love the Father. So this, this kind of circuitous way of writing that kind of spins around and around. So people start reading John 14 or 15 and go, oh, I have a headache, I have to stop. What Jesus is trying to communicate in this conversation, and he communicates it extremely well, if you read those texts slowly, very slowly, like soak in them, what Jesus is saying is that he and the Father and the Spirit are all one. And as Richard Rohr describes it, they're engaged in a divine dance together as the Holy Trinity. And that what Jesus has done is invited us into that relationship. That's where he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. As the Father's love is in me, so I love you. You should love one another. This kind of circular way of living in perfect harmony and community together is what Jesus is telling his disciples. He's telling them in every way possible, you can't make it on your own. 
that after my death and resurrection, you cannot make it on your own. Do not think for a moment you can go back to independent living by yourself doing your own gig the way you always did it. Resurrection has changed everything and that you need one another now more than ever. Remember, the promise of the Holy Spirit is not given to an individual. It is given to who? Us as a community of followers of Jesus. There's no one of us that has the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit together. Probably more appropriately, the Holy Spirit has us together. So there's no going alone. There's no going by yourself. It requires us to be in a society together. As a matter of fact, Methodist churches for many days were called societies, not churches. If I handed you the free Methodist Book of Discipline from 2019, it never calls us a local church. It calls us a society. And here is why. The founder of the Methodist movement famously said this. Solitary religion is not to be found there. Holy solitaries is a phrase no more consistent with the gospel than holy adulterers. You should chuckle at that point. <laughs> Listen carefully, though. This is the key. The gospel of Christ knows no religion but social. No holiness but social holiness. Social. Community. Together working as a body. Something you may not know about Methodism is that when the Methodist movement started in the late 18th century, it grew like wildfire. It networked very quickly. And Methodism at its heart had a gathering called the class meeting. It was a small group that met every single week. And in order for you later to be able to go into a Methodist society meeting like a worship service, you had to go to your class meeting first. And once you went to your class meeting, they gave you a ticket. And the ticket was what allowed you to come into the worship service. Methodism was so bent on making sure that no one was in their community that wasn't in a small group, that they required it. And Methodism kept that as one of its requirements all the way until the early part of the 20th century. Methodism grew as a percent of American population every year. So even as the population in the United States skyrocketed, Methodists were a larger and larger percent of that population. So in other words, Methodism was growing at a rate faster than the population was growing. Until when, do you suppose? Until when? You know, a lot of people ask, you know, when did the decline of the Methodist movement start? And they say, oh, it started in the 1980s. No, 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 it started in the 1950s. The decline of the Methodist movement started in right around 1910 to 1915. And it was soon exactly at the point in time where Methodists in all varieties, Wesleyan, Free Methodist, Methodist Episcopal, who became United Methodist, at the moment in time they stopped requiring the class meeting. When they turned into any other Protestant church, where Sunday morning became the dominant time rather than the time spent in community and small group. I hope you've read between the lines. 
that in order for churches to grow big, what do they have to do? They have to grow small. People in community together, in relationships together, connected to one another. Our only moment as a community cannot be when we're in worship. It has to be in some other setting where we're in relationships to one another. Some questions for you to wonder about this week. How are you sharing in spiritual community? And another question might be, what step will you take this week to deepen your commitment to community? The series Unstrung is about how Jesus' work after the resurrection undoes us, or unstrings us, if you will. And each of us is called to live and breathe in such a way that reveals our dependence on the Holy Spirit and one another. This is what Jesus wants his disciples to know before his death. My friends, I love you. You can't make it on your own. Lean into love at every moment of every day. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Gather in community. It's the only way we're going to make it. It's the only way we're going to make it. It is the only way we're going to make it. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's the only way we're going to make it. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks for the ways you unravel us. Challenge us to think about our life and faith in different ways. God, we confess that in many ways we're, we're conformed to this American consumeristic culture. Buying and selling, transacting, getting and having. And when we read these texts over and over again in the life of Jesus, what we find is generosity, gratitude, mercy, love, community. Above all other prayers for our church community this day, we pray, O oh God, that you would make us one, as you are one. Send the power of your Holy Spirit on this community of believers so that we might be radically empowered to love people, connect to Jesus, and serve the world. Amen. Thank you.